This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello, and with me, Cam Russell, and today we have the returns of. She is a producer, but a very specific producer at BFM. She is Julian Yap. What kind of producer are you again? I'm a campaign producer here at BFM. Thank you for having me back. Oh, it's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. And he is... Well, I've known him for years, and I, and I keep... Just, he is my tech guru, uh, and he's going to tell us what he does. He's Matt Armitage. Let's just say I'm a futurist. That's the easiest thing. Um, I was a futurist back in the day. I used to listen to, you know, Depeche Mode and uh, oh. Spandau Ballet and stuff. That made me a few... We, we were oh, I, I thought you meant you were a, a prototype fascist back in the 1920s. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> No, 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 I, I didn't do that. Um, and our three topics this week, our topic number one is subtitles. Topic number two is cash and coins. Do we still need them? And finally, topic number three is will young people watch television and long form dramas in the future? Uh, Julian, subtitles. Subtitles. Um, yeah, so I don't know if you guys would have seen. So very recently with the um, release with the latest season of Stranger Things, along with Kate Bush and everything that they've brought back. You know, they, they're bringing everything back. The kids are making everything cool again. So um, a, a, a meme that came out, uh, a meme that primarily lived on TikTok, um, I, which I did not partake in, but I saw a lot of the meme that came out of this new season of Stranger Things was that the closed captioning for this season was very creative. And a lot of people watching it, primarily in the 15 to 24-year-old kind of range. Not within this range anymore, but, you know, I have to pretend. I have to dream big. Um, they really latched, They really liked the closed captioning because they, apparently Stranger Things worked with a someone who does this for a living, um, worked with someone who really put thought into how they captioned the show. So um, the villain in the show, he kind of makes these squelching noises and when he moves about, because he's made of tentacles, I don't know what he is. But um, the captions, they were, you know, wet footsteps squelching and um, wet writhing and sibilant trilling, you know, great little <laughs> things like that. And it kind of started up a conversation online about how Gen Z are obsessed with subtitling. And I was also thinking um, how over the course of like the popularity of TikTok and over the pandemic, how we've seen closed captioning or subtitling just become the norm. So um, all apps now have that option of being able to turn that on to automatically close caption. It's a bit harder when you have things like accents and different dialects and stuff, but it, you know, it, it's more of the norm. And there was an article, I think, in The Telegraph and that I saw that said people, a lot of Gen Z are, are more likely to use subtitles because Cam's going to hate this, you too, Matt, probably, because you can look up, read the entire dialogue, get the entire context of the scene, look back down again at your phone, and you, you, you're watching, you're doing two things at once. You, get, you know what's going on in the entire scene. Um, and I love, I love that. I've always, watched, I've always watched things with subtitles, and I guess with the popularity of non-English language content that we have now um, on streaming services, that's just the norm. And I was thinking also, growing up, we've always had, um, we've always had in our cinemas here, um, two languages for our, so our, our English language films in the cinemas, we always have them in BM and in, in Chinese at the bottom. And Tamil, when, back in the and old Tam, days. Yeah, not, not too, not too often anymore. 
But when I went over to the UK to study, those that wasn't common. And there, they had screenings that had closed captions and subtitling for people who are hard of hearing. And I like the idea that we're moving towards you know, greater accessibility. And then that accessibility has allowed for kind of a, a like a better picture to be that's being painted in things like Stranger Things. But yeah. but, but just to be clear, when you said subtitling, I thought you were talking about uh, foreign language stuff, but the, you're saying that the trend now is um, for, for an English language product show, mm-hmm. English language captions for an audience that understands the English language. For accessibility, for creativity, and also just because we've been stuck at home, not being able to have our phones at full volume because we've been at home with all our families. So that's just normal. In the the Stranger Things, it never crossed my mind to watch it in closed captions. I never thought of it. Uh, The sibilant writhing, whatever it was, (laughs) the captions are in the same place as usual, down the bottom in the middle. Mm -hmm. They're not not being creative by moving it around. No. So... Things that kind of give a little bit more color to the scene. So stomps, stomps heavily or steps quietly. Matt, are you aware of this uh, phenomenon? Yeah, I do actually watch a lot of my shows with the subtitles on, especially as uh, over the last few years, there's been more of a a trend in a lot of dramas to have semi-audible or inaudible dialogue. for example, any movie or TV show that stars Tom Hardy, uh, <laughs> you have to have the the subtitles on to have any idea of what he's saying at all. So, yeah, I do actually uh, probably about about fifty fifty. I'm probably slightly unusual in that I don't put the subtitles on for foreign movies. I switch to the dubbed version, um, and no. then and then I might have the English because. Um, I find it very difficult to fully watch the subtitles and the action on the screen. I can do one or the other. But this is that because of you have a particular eye yeah, problem? That's the the reason. So I can't right. rely entirely on. So I'm either with subtitles. I'm either reading it or watching it. So I I tend to have it there as a as an assistive. But yeah, I mean, I, I picked up on that trend as well. I didn't watch Stranger Things with the closed captions on, mm-hmm. but I have noticed this trend over the past few years where it will say things like spooky music on screen and that kind of thing. So you you get a lot more kind of uh, colour and creativity in the subtitles. And also because there, there are uh, often two types of subtitles as well. There's just the pure dialogue ones. And then there are the ones that assist people with hearing difficulties, which are more descriptive. So you'll often get different captions in different places on the screen, as well as the normal subtitles for the audio at the bottom. Mm. It is strange, though, because Americans have been uh, notoriously afraid of subtitles, historically. For Uh, foreign language films, yeah. Yeah, but but you're saying that, I mean, are you you overstating this, Uh, Julian? Is it? I don't know. I think just as a, as a user, because I've just gotten so used to, even on, for example, Instagram stories, it's kind of the norm to just have uh, the caption just automatically captioning whatever they're, uh, whatever the person is saying. And it's almost weird to see one or see a video or TikTok or a reel that doesn't have that. Just because um, I think uh, movie trailers now, the, the norm is to, to, to subtitle movie trailers. With even it's it's a bit weird, but they put they do the subtitles in the font of the of the ti- of the actual title and it looks really bad actually. But that's the norm now. Because most people are watching it 
on their phone with the sound off. Yeah. They? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, in Malaysia, of course, it's, uh, as you said, Julian, it's uh, very traditional to have a lot of subtitles. I mean, back in the 70s, when, when I'd watch a film, it was, it, half the screen was subtitles. And in those days, it was literally burnt onto the film frame by frame. So it'd be hovering around. It's not a science. <laughs> They'd be moving all over the place. And then you'd be looking to, to see how people had translated things. My favorite one was uh, in a James Bond movie where Bond goes, mmm, caviar, my favorite. And uh, the subtitle was, mmm, uh, was it? Ikan bilis, sadat nyer. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I, I mean, I, I was I was watching something recently, and because I'm terrible with names and I forget things instantly, I can't remember what the show was. But um, it m- might even have been uh, the the boys on Amazon. But there are lots of um, asides. There were a lot of asides in the show where people were talking in different languages. So I turned on the subtitles to see if it would show me what they were saying. And I think it's deliberately part of the mystery of the the particular show I was watching that they don't translate any of the asides in foreign languages because they don't really want the listeners to know unless they're fluent in that particular language. Uh-huh. It remains outside the scope of the information the storytellers are providing to you. It, it does, but but sometimes though, in that that same situation, when the film is being shown in a in a a different market, a non-American market, say, uh, and the the people who are the, the distributors have not been let in on this thing, to like keep mm-hmm. this a mystery. They'll give all the uh, translations, and and you're watching. It, it's like that's a funny thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you saying that? Um, well, I'm 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 cool with subtitles, and I'm not cool with dubbed. But if Matt, <laughs> you watch dubbed things, but you have a, a doctor's letter, then that's okay, I suppose. It's it's not the the best experience, but um, if it means that I can actually watch things like Squid Game, then that's just what I got to do. Mm. Um, so okay, so subtitling is going to be it's the new cool thing. It's the new thing. Wow, okay, young people. <laughs> so uh, speaking of young people, uh, <laughs> coins and cash. Do we really need them, Matt Armitage? Well, yeah, I went to a uh, one of those shipping courier spots at the weekend and uh, I tried to pay and they said, uh, we don't accept cards for anything less than 50 ringgit. Now, over the last two years, we've just become used to tapping our card for any purchase we make, if it's a, you know, a couple of dollars or, or whether it's something larger. So... You know, I looked in my wallet. Fortunately, I think it was something like, you know, 11 ringgit 30 cents or whatever. And I managed to scrape together enough, uh, uh, enough $1 notes and uh, five ringgit notes and pay for it. And she gave me my change and she gave me a 50 cent coin. And it, it just felt really weird because I essentially haven't been given any coins over the last couple of years. So I put it in my pocket. It's been in my pocket for the last couple of days. It's here on my desk now. And I have no idea what to do with it. Because <laughs> by and large, I don't pay for anything with cash. I wouldn't carry the coin around with me. It used to be that you'd keep your coins to pay for parking at parking meters. Well, that's all in apps now. So what am I supposed to use that coin for. But that 
kind of got me thinking about the the wider perspective that when we go out and about now, sometimes if you have cash on you, you actually feel obliged to ask the shopkeeper, is it all right if I pay in cash? And I've had that experience a number of times where I paid for something in cash and there isn't enough cash in the till to give me change. And the staff end up giving you change from their own wallet. And that's happened in chain stores, not just, you know, little mom and pops. I've had that happen to me in places like Watson's. You know, the the, the staff go into their own wallets to find enough small change to, to pay you. And then there are other places you go into and there are signs that say, you know, we only take cash. Some places that say we only accept cards and other places where you, they only accept e-wallets. I mean, had a, an experience last week where I went off to the supermarket and I'd gone to a supermarket in Cyberjaya, so it was about a 15, 20-minute drive from my house. And when I arrived there, I realised I didn't have my wallet. And normally that would entail, you know, major tantrum, get back in the car, storm off home and disappear under the duvet for three days because I'm, you know, so miserable with my own existence. But this time I went into the supermarket, checked if they could use the e-wallet app that I had on my phone, did my shopping and came home with all of the things that otherwise I wouldn't have got. So do we need cash anymore? And what on earth are coins actually for? Okay. All right. Well, I know I'm staring into the future here, but I'd say, yes, we do need cash. Uh, Julian, what do you think? (laughs) Oh, no, I feel like I'm going to let you down. I... Honestly, I don't. I, I I think personally, I prefer the cashless payment, like the wave. Actually, having a card and being able to wave it. I personally am not a fan of e-wallets, just because I, I, I oh, I'm gonna sound, I'm gonna sound like a parent or something, but I don't like the uploading. I don't like setting up the automatic thing and linking it up to a card, and that just feels a little bit like my spending's gonna go haywire there. And that's uh, you know, for me, that's how I control that. But no, I don't like having lots of e-wallets in a lot of places. And I don't like going to a shop and they've got one e-wallet um, QR code that you can scan, but this other shop doesn't have that one. So I got yeah. to download that app and this shop doesn't take cash um, or this this shop doesn't take cash. They only take this certain e-wallet, but not this e-wallet, but I haven't got enough. Oh, so then can I take an item off? Well, no, then you're not, a, you're not eligible for that promo. So you got to pay extra and I don't have enough cash for that. And then I've got to stand there just hoping there's enough data that I can upload um, upload some some money into my e-wallet. I'm not a fan of it, but I like that. I like the accessibility of it. I like that I can't, like, I think here in TTDI, the um, Curry Puff guy, he takes e-wallet. And, you know, that that's helped me because uh, sometimes I don't have that 50 cent coin that Matt has. So. <laughs> and will have for the rest of his life. Yeah, on your table forever. <laughs> I mean, you, you two are saying a whole bunch of things I've never heard of, but... Um, I would say I like to be able to walk into a shop and like a mafia kingpin, bring out a wad of cash. No. <laughs> yeah. No, because it's it's purely psychological. I want to know I want to know how much money I have or do not have. Mm-hmm. And so it stops me buying stupid things because I've got this much. This is how much I am worth. <laughs> And and I can see it, and it's like, okay, I can part with this much, but not this much. Um, so whereas once you get into, I mean, which is the way 
they want it to be. Once you get into that abstract of um, n- never actually witnessing the money, you you it just it just it just goes, it flies, and it becomes nothing. But I mean, I, I find now I go to the ATM maybe once a month, and I withdraw yeah, maybe two hundred ringgit, and at the end of the month, I'll often have most of that left. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's not for any reasons other than, as Julian was saying, it's much more convenient to tap. I'm also not a fan of uh, e-wallets and QR paying simply because it's so much slower. Whenever you're in a queue and somebody is paying with a, a QR code, uh, there is all of this um yeah exactly and it takes a lot longer Uh, and when I paid for my groceries that was probably the first time I'd used the e-wallet and of course I didn't have enough in there to pay for Mm -hmm. the groceries and there wasn't much of a data connection in the supermarket so I was desperately trying to put enough money as you were saying onto the account to actually pay for things at the till and I was holding people up even further I I loved the convenience and the ability of being able to use it but i didn't think the technology was but quite Presumably there. all that technology stuff is going to like catch up for really soon and, and also the 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 diversity of this e-wallet that e-wallet it'll get streamlined and only one e-wallet wallet will exactly emerge. and um in the process of actually looking and searching for this i found out that apple pay launched in malaysia on the 9th of oh. august um which i hadn't realized so now i can upload my cards to the Apple wallet. But then I tried to do that before coming on air today. And ironically, I have to get a new debit card before I can join Apple Pay because I've had my debit card for so long. The numbers and the expiry date have run out, uh, rubbed off, <laughs> as has the CVV code. So I've got to go to the bank to get a new card in order to use a cashless system, which is, you know, all kinds of <laughs> incomprehensible. Can, can I can I ask you though, yeah. Matt? You've been talking about this cash uh, thing in terms of just personal preference, but oh yeah, presumably the the future is that cash will go. Oh, absolutely. I mean, in um, in some countries, it's very hard to use cash at all. Um, in Sweden, it's very hard to use cash. Uh, people generally don't seem to like cash in the UK either. Uh, I found it much harder to pay with cash than I did with with card, any time I would say to the person at the till, would you prefer cash or card? They always say card, which is a reversal of what it would have been 10 years ago, where, of course, there are fees on the card transaction, so everyone prefers cash. But, I, I mean, as a Malaysian cardholder, are you paying a fee, though, in a foreign country? Uh, not for uh, not for the transaction. To, to take money out of an ATM, yes, but not for a transaction in a store. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, Julian, you're going to be cashless and it, it means nothing to you to lose i'll be cashless but i'll be the card tappy person yeah. rather the pay wave person rather than the the e-wallet person also you know like even without um covid i've always been a bit of a germaphobe i've never enjoyed you know receiving money i've always made sure to wash my hands after and all of that and i like not having to count you know when you get your your change back and you're standing at the at the cashier and you gotta arrange your money and i like yeah. that oh my god well, that's like a little moment that you share with the ca- I don't like to, like, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. oh, you're taking away all my fun anyway. But have you, have you also, I mean, have you noticed that if you go into a, a mall, especially at a weekend, there aren't queues at the ATMs anymore? Well, mm. I don't think there ever really were. 
I don't, well, I mean, a, a lot of the ones I, I went to, yeah, they would often be... Oh, you just be went a, to the popular ones, the hip ones. <laughs> no, I, I think maybe because I'm, I'm at the out-of-town ones. But, um, yeah, you know, you can, you can just stroll up to an ATM now. You don't have to wait in that interminable queue to get your, your last 30 <laughs> ringgit out of the machine. Okay, all right, all right, fair <laughs> enough. So, once again... Um, <laughs> I don't exist in the future, we have discovered. Uh, but in a moment, I'm, we're going to find out even more that we, I don't exist in the future um, when we look at uh, changing viewing habits here on A Bit of Culture, BFM 89.9. And we're back with myself, Cam Russell and Julian Yap and Matt Armitage. And now, now every country is different and viewing cultures are very different. But a report has come out in the UK from uh, the office of Ofcom, which is the broadcasting regulator. And they've looked, uh, done a deep dive into viewing habits in the UK. Now, um, in the UK, watching television is something of an obsession. It's a really TV-heavy country. I would say, of all the places I've been to, it's the most... It's the country that loves to watch TV the most. But they've discovered amongst many other things, that um, the age group of 15 to 24 watch, like, no television. Uh, they watch perhaps 51 minutes um, a day, which is actually a fair bit. But on the other hand, they watch TikTok at a number that is far in excess of any other age group, the younger age group and the older age group. And um, <clears throat> meanwhile, old people, um, 65 and upwards, be watching 350 minutes per day of television, which is what, six hours? That's incredible. <laughs> so there's an incredible disconnect between these two. So the, the coming generation watching TikTok, not watching television. You have younger, uh, again, who are watching Disney Plus, etc., for cartoons, etc., which and they're not watching it on um, television. So I'm wondering about viewing habits. We've on this show and in our lives spent a lot of time watching. Well, let's just call them box sets. They're not box sets anymore, but you know the long form TV dramas. TikTok is obviously not very long form. Now people's habits can change as they grow older, but um, I'm just wondering if in 20 years' time when these 15 to 20 year olds are in their 30s, what, you know, we talked about Stranger Things earlier, would such a thing even exist for, um, at all? Or is it just going to be shows which are 30 seconds long? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Julian, I turn to you. Um, would you be surprised by the, the, the figures that I was mentioning just now? N not really, because I mean, I think it's so. So I mean, there's two parts of it, right? So that's the type of content, and then it's the properties of both platforms. So the ty the types of content, I think, especially with the UK, and I know kind of what the viewing habits are like with TV in the UK, and the content that comes out of the big ones, so e uh, like E4, Channel 4, BBC, ITV, they're very skewed to because the people making the content are the people. The, uh, the people that it's it's aimed towards. It's not someone. My, I'm not going to tune in to. I don't know. I don't Anatomy of a Scandal. I'm not going to watch that because it's not something that I'm very interested in. So that content isn't skewed properly. I think um, 
then the other one, the other side is the properties of it. So yesterday I was just talking to a colleague here about our radio um, and how I radio surf so much. Um, one, because I'm looking for BTS to listen to, but another because the second I get to an ad, I know that I've got three or four different stations that I can that I can look for a song for, and that you you get rid of that completely once you get to um, music listening services, music streaming services, or podcasts. Why should I? Why would I want an, an ad when I could be listening to content? And that's what TikTok is. But because right? you, you know? work for BFM. Uh, yes, please uh, listen to has, the radio station. Yes, yes, yes. 89.9. <laughs> it's a very important station. Please stay on listening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I don't. I think TikTok is really just. And, and, and all of the streaming platforms have that, right? So even if we have a series like Stranger Things, getting it all at once and then not having ads, which is why Netflix is getting so much backlash at the moment because they're about to introduce ads to paying customers. It doesn't make sense because why why should we when we've got the option to have things on demand? And that's so what TikTok is. TikTok, TikTok has ads. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't, right. That's how I yeah. misunderstood that. Uh, Matt, you know the British um, viewing habits as well as anyone. And, uh, and you've looked into this Deeper than I have. A, a little bit. I mean, I think the 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 picture's not quite as dire um, as it may appear. I mean, that that hour that you were saying that's for broadcast TV. That doesn't include uh, watching on subscription services. So that doesn't include what they watch on Netflix or whatever. That's just for um, broadcast TV. So BBC One, Two, Three, ITVs, the the E fours. So we know that um, we know that habits have moved away from. Uh, these kind of scheduled programming people prefer to watch on uh, on their own kind of schedule. So we have seen an increase in consumption within all age groups from their on-demand services. So iPlayer, all four, uh, all of these kind of services, which again we're we're seeing reflected across the the globe. Um, you know, a lot of people consume HBO through the HBO app, not by watching HBO on a uh, a subscription channel you're still paying the same fee but you're choosing when you're consuming the the programming so i think what we're really seeing is not so much a, a decline in tv as much as we're seeing a fragmentation of the way that people are viewing of course you're only going to have so many hours a day that you can uh, view content if people want to watch tiktok then, of course, the time spent on TikTok is going to come out of time that they spend on other platforms. I mean, this is the what we've seen in terms of cultural shifts in media consumption since, you know, the 1970s onwards. You know, people's interest in music. Music used to be the defining kind of youth culture item. And, of course, that was fragmented by video games and all of these other things that competed for the same pool of available time and available income. So all we're seeing is a kind of further fragmentation of that model. What I think is perhaps more worrying is uh, a reported trend where we're seeing more people using TikTok as a primary news source. Uh, I think one of the figures I read was that uh, 7% of um, adults in the UK, I, I it didn't uh, put them into age bands, but 7% of adults in the UK use TikTok as their primary news source. That is potentially a little bit more worrying, I think, than 
whether or not people are going to be watching, you know, the the latest version of Jane Eyre or whatever adaptation is uh, has been made. So a deep a deep dive into Middle East politics is twenty seconds. Um. <laughs> well, no, I mean, but that's the thing. I mean, TikTok content is now up to like three or four minutes, I think. So oh it's, I, it's I can't watch. That. I can't stay yeah, awake for that long. So it's so it, it has expanded. But when you watch cable news items. Uh, those news items are usually cut to those kind of lengths as well. Yeah. So it's it's not it, there's not really a difference between the platforms in terms of duration of attention span. I, I I do respect though that people are now so much more to the point um, with their I was going to call it reportage because you're the one who brought up the news, but I mean just in their storytelling, you know, it's just like just tell me now. <laughs> yeah, and it it it's so concise and the language is. It's only it, it's sometimes it's really quite like well you know bravo that's that was really well done, but Julian can I ask you uh, the um, in this report that it says that fifty seven minutes for these uh, fifteen twenty four four year olds per day is spent on TikTok now that therefore could be fifty seven minutes that could be uh, that could be a hundred maybe less individual things. And that, I mean, that kind of way of absorbing content, that must get hardwired in. That is then going to be the way you are. Or, or, or can, this is a wider topic, but can you change and become different in the way that you want to um, absorb stuff? I don't know if it's can you change, but I know, so I personally, so I, uh, pre-pandemic, I didn't have Instagram um, and I didn't have TikTok, obviously, because it wasn't it wasn't that it wasn't there wasn't that much content on it. Um, but also, I mean, combined with being at home and everything, but the way that I used these apps and how I gra- kind of gravitated to both these apps and this way of consuming media, it changed. So I used to watch obviously shows, but also I I used to watch a lot more YouTube where it, videos were 10, 20 minutes long. Now I can get the condensed version on that creator's Instagram page or TikTok page. And that's changed within two. So that's that was two years, two or three years. Um, uh, I, I saw this very interesting thing. I don't. So before TikTok was popular, there was another app called Vine. And TikTok is kind of, you know, TikTok, there's, it's longer. You can go up to three minutes now. Um, like Matt said, but Vine, you only had seven seconds to be able to tell a story and the the I, I saw this thing where it said the difference between Vine and TikTok and the different types of content and you have on both is that Vine is you only have seven seconds. So you have to show what you want to show. But TikTok, you've got 30 seconds, three minutes. I think some can go up to seven or 10 now. It depends on if you're an official account. I'm not too sure. But because you've got so much time, you have you can tell. You can just tell. And, and people take that at face value. So even the way that people are creating that content is different. No. Mm. Vine I, I was really good for football. I love it was, Vine. Because things can happen so fast that yeah. seven seconds was like, oh, my God, that's all you need to know. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So there is a natural tendency then to want to get longer and longer. And by the way, with this Ofcom um, thing, the that age group which uh, enjoys um, TikTok so much, uh, their time on Instagram is a hell of a lot less. I mean, they're still the, the biggest users of Instagram, but it's a lot less. Facebook, hardly anything. Snapchat, which I think I've been told is a thing of the past, still high usage. And a thing called Twitch, 
I have no idea what that is. <laughs> but like hardly anybody uses it. Uh, we have to have a tutorial for me one day where someone will tell me what these things mean. But I, um, I think something that you, you might consider to be good news, Cam, there was a, a startup called, I'm, I was never sure how to pronounce it, Quibi, Q-B, yeah. Q-U-I-B-I. And it launched sort of two or three years ago to great fanfare. And the idea was that it would be short form video content, but they got a lot of um, high profile directors involved, uh, a lot of name actors and actresses. And it simply didn't engage people. They weren't interested in watching these kind of three, five, seven minute kind of serialized videos that uh, uh, that were being shown through the platform. And it shut down after, I think, uh, less than a year after mm. having you know, hundreds of millions of dollars pumped into it. So I don't think, you know, we're, we're seeing the death now of long-form content in any shape. But, I, I mean, you know, I, I love Stranger Things a lot. Mm. But I would say that I, that I really do respect how concise language has become mm. over the last few years. And actually, in a way, kind of like Donald Trump, much as I loathe the man, has to be credited in a way because his work on Twitter, it was so to the point... <laughs> with his rage that people just like instantly got it and the rebuttals by the more educated democrats was just so washy will you know like twitter how many characters twitter now 150 and then you know oh so i think we all should learn the language of conciseness says he going on far too long and i'm gonna move on to the end <laughs> so move on now to um recommendations we recommend something that we think might be of interest and julian goes first I would like to recommend a song. Um, so uh, before BTS came along and enlightened my entire life, um, the band that kind of informed who I am as a person, and I've loved them for about 10 years now, um, is the 1975. Um, I love them to bits. I've listened to every song that they've put out, and I've been to, I've seen them many times. I've tried to see them as much as I could, and, and I love them. They have an album coming out in October, and they've released a single off of that album. Two singles, actually, but I'd like to recommend the single Happiness. So it's the song Happiness by the 1975. Um, I've really been going through it the last couple of weeks. Um, and this song kind of, it's five minutes long. And this song kind of, it makes me forget everything that's going on for at least five minutes. And it's it just feels fun. I don't know the music terms, and I don't know what genre this song is, but it's it's great. It feels like it. It feels like it. It's an infinite kind of song. You get like lost in it, and I love it. And I kind of want if if anyone is going through it as well and wants to just like be lifted up for a little bit or for five minutes, just forget anything that you're doing. Or if you don't like it, at least something that is fun to listen to. I think that's a nice little song to take five minutes out of your day for. Uh, Matt, are you uh, are you familiar with 1975? I am. Yes, I yeah. am. They think? got a bit of flack recently because they replaced Rage Against the Machine at Reading and Leeds. Ah, oh, that's why. And, yeah, that's why they're yeah, in my yeah. <laughs> um, okay, well, yeah, you got me at the year 1975, one of music's great years. So uh, <laughs> I knew that would. Yeah. <laughs> I will listen. I have listened before. <laughs> I quite like them. Um, so that's uh, 19, the 1975 and the upcoming album or just the songs? No, just the just this one song uh, called Happiness. Okay, uh, producer Hanif, um, I beseech you to uh, play out with that song. Yes, thank you. <laughs> and uh, Matt, what's your recommendation? Well, normally we 
sort of recommend entire shows, um, but I'm going to recommend a specific episode of a show. I, I recently watched The Boys, um, all three seasons. I, I'm a bit late to that party, partly because my wife started watching it and got ahead of me and I never caught up and blah, blah, blah. So I finally plowed through it over the last few weeks. And I would recommend everyone to watch uh, season three, episode seven. Uh, the show is um, loud, rude, profane, uh, violent, uh, generally unpleasant and extremely funny. But that particular ep uh, episode is suddenly incredibly and oddly whimsical and strange. So it's quite a dislocating experience from watching the rest of the season. Uh, so if you're not interested in the show, that's an episode you can watch and uh, get no feel at all for what the rest of the uh, the show is like, but still enjoy that particular episode. Uh, if you are a fan of the show, just go back and watch it again, because it's just something that you can... Uh, I don't want to give too many, uh, any, well, I don't really want to give anything away because once you kind of tell people what the whimsy is, it kind of destroys it a little bit. So I would just say go in and enjoy the surrealism and the, uh, the, the just kind of uh, poetic uh, elements of what is usually a, a very splatterfest gore show. Uh, Julian, are you familiar with The Boys? I watched season one and I, I dropped off because I did, you know, in waiting between seasons. So that's actually, I've been meaning to get back into it, but that kind of makes me very interested because it was very, to me, very one note, not one note, but probably I'm, you don't want to be stuck in that kind of vibe, the, the grittiness, the, it's so gnarly. I don't want to watch that all the time. Having that little breather sounds really nice. And so maybe I'll, so maybe I'll check that one out and then, you know, ease my way back into the gnarly and gross. Yeah. All right, so that is one particular episode from The Boys from season three, did you say? Season three, episode seven. It oh, okay. probably has a name, but it eludes me. It, I, I mean, I'm serious. You're seriously saying to watch it out of context? Oh, absolutely. Um, because okay. it concentrates on a character that they don't really do a lot with in the rest of the seasons. So you haven't really missed anything by by that point because they're actually giving you his backstory after sort of 24, 25 episodes anyway. So it's kind of an, an origin story for him anyway. Would okay. you be disappointed if you watched this and then you went back and you watched them? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I meant to watch it actually and then, and then, then I just forgot about it. Um, so I should uh, check it out. The Voice. Uh, okay, so my recommendation is just the other day, uh, the German director Wolfgang Peterson died. Mm. And it just so happened, by pure coincidence, I watched his first, his breakout piece, um, and probably still his greatest work, which is Das Boot, uh, The Boat. It's on Netflix. And on Netflix, they have a, a movie cut-down version. It was actually a, a mini-series on German television, West, West German television, back in the day, from the 1980s. Um, I think it was about six episodes. And they've cut it down to three and a half hours. And it is fantastic. <laughs> it is still fantastic. I was watching it, and because it's all shot inside a U-boat, the entire thing, and they the set was the same size as a U-boat, and that's very small. And it, it's shot so well. Um, you're watching it, and you think, how the hell do they do that? There'll be people running down, as it were, the, the, the length of the U-boat and shooting themselves through these little narrow 
holes and and the camera follows them. And you think, how the hell they do that? <laughs> Uh, and, and what they did is actually they invented a camera. It was in the days of Steadicam, but they didn't use Steadicam. It was a single camera, and they had all these gyroscopes on it, and so as to give it still a handheld feel, but make it still a bit more stable. Um, it's amazing. And the cameraman had to wear like a suit of armor, basically, because he kept bashing himself on, on everything. Um, and it, so um, a TV series cut into a film from the 1980s that is still really impressive. Uh, simple story that it's a u-boat they're on patrol that's it really <laughs> um very good das boot by yeah. wolfgang peterson they, i mean I, I remember watching it on bbc2 in the uk when i was uh, a kid and mm. there was a lot of fanfare about it coming out but it's it's turned into something it's a bit like um it's a bit like blade runner i mean you mentioned there's a a tv cut and there's uh, a theatrical film release there's also a director's version there were numerous versions produced for home video as well it's another one of those those shows that you can actually you know find half a dozen different versions of the the same content in you know different spaces all over the place yeah but i, I was very satisfied with the one that's on netflix i was very surprised mm. to see it there I was like oh my god what's this doing here mm. uh you ever seen it julian no i haven't but soon you'll be able to find it on tiktok that TikTok cut down version. <laughs> the 15 cut seconds. Yeah. yeah. Man, man goes into U-boat. Explosion. End. End. <laughs> yep. uh, I will watch that. I've been meaning to watch it. So. It's really good. It's, it's really good. Um, so that's uh, Dust Boot, um, Wolfgang. And Wolfgang Peterson. Actually, check out Wolfgang Peterson's films. He's a really good filmmaker. And because he was, uh, one last thing, <laughs> because he was German, he wasn't afraid in his movies to blow up significant parts of america indeed like the whole of america in his movies and so the 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 movie 2012 i found kind of shocking because he just destroys california before your very eyes it's like <laughs> no one does that <laughs> so that was quite something um so uh that brings us to the end of this week's show so only reminds me now to thank matt armitage thank you in his cashless world <laughs> and uh uh julian yap thank you thank you so much and myself, Cam Ruslan, and please join us next week for another exciting episode of A Bit of Culture here on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.